Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Well, my name is Sean Wadiemi. Most people know me as Sean, but I prefer Sean, if you can pronounce that. <laughs> and when you have continuing conversations, you are going to have conflict. The good news is, is there's small conflicts and you get them early. It's like, you know, the bad news is you have cancer. The good news is we caught it really early. During the, the courtship or the dating stage, you spend a lot of time together, you have a lot of conversations. Then all of a sudden you get married and you stop talking. I just can't stand it when you uh, leave the toothpaste out and you say, Toothpaste? What about all the hair in the hairbrush? Do you know how awful that... That's a counterpunch. You bring up a good point, which um, is, 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 it's good you bring it up, because in the event that both spouses are not good listeners, you talked about this in your sermon, how do we grow? Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to the Dollar Savvy Podcast. Introduce your host, Sean Adeyemi, President and Senior Financial Planner at SA Capital Advisors. If you're just joining us, thank you very much for joining us on the Dollar Savvy Show. We are continuing our conversation with Pastor Don Simons of Wesley Baptist Heights Church in Ajax, Ontario. And the topic we've been discussing is learning to listen. And last time we left off with Pastor Don Simons sharing three tips or about to share three tips to couples regarding learning to listen to each other. So if you missed the first part, you can find it on sacapital.ca slash podcast slash E16 or wherever you listen to your podcast, just go back to the previous episode before this one and um, start from there because then this the rest of this conversation even makes more sense. So here is the rest of my interview. Enjoy and be blessed. I have a couple in my office and and they're going back and forth and he's so this and she never that and why does he always do this and why can't she ever do this and I can sense that they are here to win an argument not to solve a problem and I'll bring it to a head by saying excuse me Mr. Husband I understand that there are issues here but are you willing to listen let me ask you a question if in this counseling session today you can either win the argument that you're having right now and know no more about your wife's heart than you do right now, or you can lose the argument but really understand the way your wife feels. Which would you choose? And I'd ask the same question of the wife. Excuse me, Mrs. Wife, in this counseling session, if you could only choose one thing, if you could either win the argument with your husband decisively, convincingly, right now, here in this office, but know no more about his heart than you do right now, or you can lose the argument, but know how your husband feels and thinks, what would you choose? Because that crystallizes the motivation. The motives of each one. That's right. Often we don't listen because we don't want to listen. I'm not interested in your heart. 
I'm interested in winning the day on this point so that I can go out and buy my new camera or buy a bigger house or whatever it is we're fighting about. So one of the things I do in counseling, when the problem is not listening as related to finances, I give three pieces of advice and I hope they're helpful to your listeners. One is get on the same page. Have a date with one another and just say, just take out all the financial skeletons. Do you have credit card debt that I don't know about? Mm-hmm. Do you have bank accounts that I don't know about? Do you have capital-consuming habits that I don't know about? Let's just be honest with one another. And then when we know what the facts are, agree on what we're trying to do. What are we trying to do with our money anyway? Like, we'll both be dead in 100 years, and our money will have done something. What do we hope that it did? What are our goals? What are we trying to invest in? And this can lead to excellent conversation. And as I mentioned earlier, that usually results in one of two things, finding out that you're actually together, that you're very similar, that you have very similar goals, or discovering that you genuinely don't have the same goals. That's good. Because now we know where they differ and why you feel the way you feel. Mm -hmm. But have that conversation. Step number one, have the conversation so that you have all the financial information, past, and you know where you're going, future. The second piece of information is do something that will keep the conversation going. Now, for us in our marriage, it is have a budget and discuss the results of the budget frequently. So every year, my wife and I set a budget, and every Monday, I download the credit card transactions and the banking transactions, and I sort them all out. This was groceries, this is gasoline, and then I just do a quick check on the budget, and I update my wife. Why? Because it forces us to keep communicating. Kaden. Yeah, this is getting a little out of hand. We're not spending as much on this area as we thought we were. What, what should we do with the money? Um, we may have this new obligation. Uh, you know, during the summer, for instance, uh, two things that happened that we did not expect was uh, we had that terrible windstorm and part of our fence blew down. Okay, that was $1,400 that I did not anticipate. The second thing was that our dryer broke. That was $1,200 that I did not mm-hmm. anticipate. Okay, so those, that, there's $2,500 that we did not anticipate. How are we going to react to this? So rather than sweeping it under the rug, and we just went through some things that we wanted to buy, that we were going to buy, that we thought we were going to buy, and we just canceled them. What I'm trying to say is, is a weekly or a monthly checkpoint forces a continuing discussion because what happens you can have one really good discussion where you finally reveal your skeletons and you finally talk about your goals and you have this really great feeling that you're on the same page and you are you're genuinely on the same page but what happens in life is we drift apart right and new skeletons come and you drift back into your old habits but you don't really want to tell you need to have that conversation step one but step two is you need to have some mechanism in your marriage which forces you to periodically talk about finances and it should be periodic because you don't want the you don't want a financial crisis to be the reason you're talking like we don't talk about money unless something goes wrong that's a problem that's a problem you should put it on your calendar. Now, for me, I'm a pastor. I usually take Mondays off. So on Monday, I just gather up all the mail. Mm-hmm. I don't look at the mail throughout the week, but I just have this big 
bin in our house. Monday, I open up all the envelopes. I pay all the bills. I go into my budget program. I categorize all the expenses. I write down a summary of where we are, and then we talk about it. So that's step two. And then step three is um, continue to allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify you um, in, in being mature. Because when you get on the same page and when you have continuing conversations, you are going to have conflict. The good news is, is there's small conflicts and you get right. them early. It's like, you know, the bad news is you have cancer. The good news is we caught it really early and it's completely uh, um, treatable. Treatable, that's right. If you had a, said, gee, I think there's something wrong with my body, better not go to the doctor because I don't want bad news. Mm-hmm. You do that for 10 years, he would say, bad news, you have con- cancer. Bad news is really progressed. It's this is terminal really be, or something. It, yeah. it could be. So that's going to create conflict. When you're having these conversations, the fence is going to blow down, the dryer's going to break, and you're going to not get be able to get something that you really wanted to get, that you had both agreed that you could buy, and now it's changing. So there's going to be conflict. But allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify you. And one of the areas that I would really encourage growth is allow the Holy Spirit to teach you the difference between wants and, and needs. Very often we convince ourselves that wants are needs. And we do that because we have to justify why we're spending thousands of dollars on our hobby item. Well, it's really for the family and can't you say, or why we really need a bigger house. Well, you know, if we did this, we could entertain and it would be used by the Lord and so forth. And all that may be valid, but it may also just be justification. You mm. may, your, your heart may be saying, I want a new house. So let me find reasons to... So, yeah, so the answer is we're getting a big house. Now, how do I justify that? And I need some spiritual sounding reasons too. Okay, go. If you're having these conversations, one of the ways you can minimize conflict is really separate want from need. And that will force you to be honest with one another. Like, is this a want or is this a need, honey? And then to have the other person respond honestly is just really, really soul nourishing. Mm -hmm. So those are the three tips that I give to couples when they have financial issues and I sense that the financial, the source of the financial issues is not that they're spending $25,000 a month on gambling in Las Vegas. That's a different issue. It's not that um, they have total secret lives. When the issue is financial, but underneath that is a lack of communicating, I suggest three things. One, have an extended conversation. Make a date day of it. Go away and just talk. What are all the skeletons? What are our financial goals? What's our plan? What, what's your heart on what our money is? And, what, and when you're on the same page, point number one, build some mechanism into your marriage that will force you to have checkpoints frequently. We do it every week, could be every month, could be every quarter, but frequently. And not driven by a crisis, but driven by the calendar. We're talking about money because our calendars say we're talking about Mm -hmm. money today, not because we're mad at each other or something bad has Mm -hmm. happened. And then the third thing is allow this process, allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify you through this process um, to become more mature, specifically in the area of being honest with yourself and your spouse about the difference 
between wants and needs. That's some of the advice I give. I find that, I mean, thank you very much for, for that. I find that having conversations with my wife and just trying to get to know her even more because a lot of times we get married and we're all excited. Um, during the, the courtship or the dating stage, you spend a lot of time together, you have a lot of conversations. Then all of a sudden you get married and you stop talking and you stop talking to each other. And life begins to happen, kids come in the way, your work gets busy, and you stop talking. And when you stop talking, each person starts to have a life of their own and begins to develop certain habits. But just like you said in your first point, by consistently having those conversations, and for me, I talk about accountability a lot in, our, in, in what I do, is being accountable to each other as um, a husband and wife is, okay, this is our money. I mean, I, I personally believe that, I, I, don't, I don't believe couples should have separate accounts. I personally believe if both couples are working, the money comes into the same account, and from that account, you use it to, to um, take care of your of, of, of your expenses as a family. And at that point, and through that, you both work through what those expenses are. And then each each couple usually has individual needs that are unique to the husband needs this because of his job or because for whatever reason, the wife needs this. And sometimes those things remain the same. Sometimes those things change. But by uh, constantly having those conversations and having that accountability, that extended conversation you talked about, it allows you to identify conflicts where you both don't feel right about certain things and talk about it right away and deal with it so that it doesn't become something that results into a blow up. Yeah, I think you're really onto something there. Um, and just particularly where you started, the, the whole tendency of talking, talking, talking when you're dating. When my wife and I were dating, we would stay up till midnight walking. And by the way, our parents wouldn't let us in either house alone without chaperones. Mm -hmm. So we would walk around the block. And in the winter, <laughs> we would walk till midnight. I remember getting in. I remember climbing into bed and my legs were so cold I couldn't feel them anymore. <laughs> but we couldn't stop talking. But then when you get married, the natural forces just pull you apart and the, someone's got to take the kids to piano lessons mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. someone's got to pay the bills and the bus was late. And, and so you stop talking. That's a silent killer. You know how in, in, like in, in medical maladies, some things are not silent killers. Like if you break your leg, you feel it. You right. know what happened. As a matter of fact, if it's really bad, you can see the break. And you go to the hospital and you get... But there are some things that doctors call silent killers because they leave no clues. I, for instance, have high blood pressure. What are the symptoms of high blood pressure? There are no symptoms. <laughs> the symptom of high blood pressure is you die of a stroke. But you don't know that until it happens. Until it happens. When you stop talking, your relationship is growing cold, but it's a silent killer. There's no warning lights. There's no nothing. This is why I think so many marriages break up after decades, when the kids leave. Because the kids were the glue, the kids were the center. Mm. And now the kids are gone, and it's just me and you. And you know what, honey? I've suddenly realized I don't either know 
or like you very much. We don't recognize each other anymore. Right. Who are you? And I've only got so much more time left, and I don't really want to spend it with you. And I gotta be me. And I only one life to live. And I got a bucket list. And it's not the same as your bucket list. Yeah, people get divorced on a Tuesday, but it didn't happen on, on a Tuesday. Tuesday. It happened 25 years before the Tuesday, but it was a silent killer. Both living separate lives. And absolutely. And finance isn't the only way that that happens, but it's a way that mm-hmm. it happens. And that's why I say the initial conversation where we get on the same page and we self-reveal our skeletons to one another and we have meaningful, meaty, substantial talks about where we're going financially, and what that's very, very good. But that's the beginning, not the end. Because if you just stop there, you will have this wonderful, warm meeting where you both feel good about things and you both feel you're in agreement and life will pull you apart. You need to have date days. You need to have financial conversations. You need something in your calendar that forces you to be together on these things. You bring up a good topic, which we're not going to address today, but I think it's something that um, needs to be addressed on a later episode, which is uh, talking about the things in your heart. And sometimes when you do that, you reveal mistakes and things you've done before that may cause shame, um, cause you to be... Um, anxious and you don't want to reveal those things, there are ways to address that. There are biblical ways to address the mistakes you've made in the past and how it makes you feel, what God says about it, and how to move past it. Because sometimes the reasons why we don't want to reveal those things are, okay, what's my husband going to think about me? Or what's my wife going to think about me? Or he's going to be judging me and he's going to, th- that he's going to think or she's going to think all the problems we're having is my fault. And I know those are concerns, but I think not addressing it just for for the, for the sake of staying on topic, not addressing it and constantly sweeping it under the rug is the wrong mistake to make because it can ruin your marriage. Husbands and wife, you need to talk to each other. It's so important. The word of God commands us to. We have to do these things. And um, yeah. you, I mean, your story illustrates. Um, Many points, many lessons for us to learn. Um, Yeah, and and maybe let me just end off by commenting on uh, this dynamic that you describe and how listening plays into it. I've got this big, huge skeleton in my office, in my life rather, and I can't really tell you my spouse because if I did, you would turn that into a piece of two by four, and you would never let me forget it. And you would. Mm -hmm. I was at a. I was at a, a place one time, and they had a stand up comedian. And the stand-up comedian is doing his routine, and in his routine he says, uh, Hey, I, I was with a friend, and he had this big black eye. And uh, I, I said, Hey, how'd you get the black eye? And the guy says, Oh, I had a big fight with my wife. And, <laughs> oh, dear, how did that happen? Uh, well, you know, I said one thing, and then she said another, and it just kind of escalated. And then she also went historical on me. Don't you mean she went hysterical? (laughs) No, I mean historical. Remember the time you this, remember the time you that. See, that's a bad listener. If here's my point. If you are married to a good listener, you feel much more comfortable in sharing your skeleton because you know that they're listening to your heart. They're not looking for a hammer. Mm -hmm. They're not looking for leverage in future arguments. They're looking to help you heal. Now, it's still hard, 
But if you are married to a good listener, you are much more likely to self-reveal because you know you've got a safe place to land. You know you've got a person who's on your team. You know who's is someone who's not sifting through your history mm-hmm. so that they can pound you with it. They're sifting through your history so that they can understand you and minister to your heart. That's a big difference. Very often we don't self-reveal, and that's on us. No excuses. You need to be honest with your wife or our spouses. But our spouses could make it easier by being good listeners. And then you feel your anxiety go down, and you can actually tell them what's going on. You bring up a good point, which um, is, 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 it's good you bring it up, because in the event that both spouses are not good listeners, you talked about this in your sermon, how do we grow in becoming good listeners? What's, what are your suggestions? Yeah, well, I think you can't be responsible for your, your spouse. You can't do anything about their listening habits. You're, and you will never be held to account for that. God will never say on the Bema seat, hey, why was your spouse a bad listener? You are responsible for your responses. So I would say if you've got two spouses that are terrible listeners, take one of those terrible listeners and make them a good listener, and it can be you. You know, we're, we're doing a four-part Sunday school class in our church in, in January on how to become a biblical listener. Huh. Now, will your spouse do that? It doesn't matter. You do that. But very often, good listening encourages the other person to be a good listener. Because when we're bad listeners, I'm a bad listener and I always fight with you, but it's your fault. You started it. Because mm. remember the time we had this conversation and you beat me over the head with it? The problem is, is you're saying the same thing about me. We both justify our actions by blaming each other. That's exactly right. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says good fruit comes from good trees. If you are a good tree, you'll have good fruit. What we want to do is we always want to explain the bitter fruit on our tree uh, in relation to someone else. Yes, maybe I do have these bitter apples, but it's my wife's fault because when I get through the door, she's nagging me. No, 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 no. Your wife does not put fruit on your tree. You put fruit on your tree. Your fruit is coming from your heart, not hers. Hmm. Now, maybe she does nag you, and maybe she could, she could be much wiser, and that certainly wouldn't be a positive thing to do. But you are responsible for the tr- fruit on your tree. Our natural tendency is to explain my bitter fruit through your wrong actions. That's not valid. My bitter fruit is not a result of your wrong actions, although you may have done wrong actions. My bitter fruit is a reflection of my heart, and that's all there is to it. Hmm. That's a good one. So let me ask you this. If I'm having a conversation with my wife and I'm trying to learn to be a good listener, how do I know whether I'm a good listener or not? Are there things for me to begin to identify in myself that helps me realize, uh-uh, you're not listening. Uh, yeah. what, do you th- what do you say? It's an excellent question because you can go into a conversation really wanting to be a good listener and being absolutely committed to being a good listener. But most of us are bad listeners, and I'm 56 years old, so I've had 50 years of training myself to be a bad listener. Mm-hmm. And just my 
effort to become a good listener will not be enough. I will subconsciously slip into my bad listening mm-hmm. habits. Here are three things that you can look for, though. If you're in the conversation and you're counterpunching, you're not listening. So a person says, you know, I, I just can't stand it when you uh, leave the toothpaste out. And you say, toothpaste? What about all the hair in the hairbrush? Do you know how awful that That's a counterpunch. You didn't really listening. To, you weren't listening to their heart about how frustrated they feel. You weren't trying to figure out, you know, why is this frustrating? Does it make your life feel unordered when I leave the bathroom messy? Does it say that I don't care about you when I like? Why is why do you react that way? I'm not trying to understand your own heart. I'm trying to win the argument, so I deliver a counterpunch. Toothpaste, huh? What about your stupid your stupid hairbrush? If you catch yourself counterpunching, you're not listening. Mm. The second thing is defending. If you catch yourself defending, you're not listening. So I I can't stand it when you leave the toothpaste out. I didn't leave the toothpaste out. You left for work after me, remember? So if it's out now, you were the last one. See, now I'm defending. I'm building a little bit of a court case. If you're defending, you are not listening. You're trying to win an argument. You're not trying to see a heart. So if you're with counterpunching or with defending, you're not listening. The third thing is if you're withdrawing. My personality type is to defend or counterpunch. I very seldom withdraw. That's just not my way. My wife's way is to withdraw. If she feels beat on, if uh, you know, and you know, we're just having this argument. She thinks she's going to lose. She just stops talking. If you're stopping talking, you're not listening. Withdrawing is just sweeping in under the, the carpet. So if your personality type isn't the type that would counterpunch or defend, you may be tempted into withdrawing. And I would say if you're doing any one of those three things, counterpunching, defending, or withdrawing, you're not communicating. Mm. Um, and these three things, if I could say, the, the, those three, like why do we counterpunch? Why do we defend? Why do we withdraw? Why do we find it so hard to listen? I would say it is a manifestation of our own selfishness. When you're talking to me, I care much more about my feelings than I do your heart. Hmm. So when you say to me, as my spouse... I can't stand it when you leave a mess in the bathroom or the toothpaste is all over the place. I don't go inside my head and say, how are you feeling? Like, what is upsetting about this? Do you feel that I'm being discourteous or disrespectful? Or do you feel that our whole life is in disarray and the messy bathroom is just an icon of that and just a reminder of that? Or I'm not asking the question, how do you feel? How do you feel? I'm not asking the question, where's your heart? When you say you're frustrated by the way I leave the bathroom, I go inside my head and say, how do I feel? Hmm. I feel hurt. I feel attacked. I feel angry. I feel dealt with unfairly. And when I'm thinking about that, I will naturally counterpunch or defend or withdraw. But here's the point. All of those are selfish. And all of those discourage the other person from speaking. Because if you, every time you share about the bathroom, I counterpunch or defend or withdraw, you will quickly learn not to share about not that. Not to share about it. And here's the tragedy. Married couples usually over time build a list of things that they no longer talk about. 
disciplining the kids, finances, work, or whatever. Why? Where does that list come from? It comes from experience. I tried to talk to you about disciplining the kids, and it turned into a fight. And every time we talk about disciplining, so I have learned I'm not, that's the topic. We're not going to talk about And every time we talk about finances, it turns into a big uh, fight or you start crying and run away and lock yourself in the bathroom or whatever. So I've just learned. Don't talk about that. Well, that is just death. The longer that list of do not talk about items is, the less healthy the marriage is. It's tragic. And it all comes from selfishness. To learn to listen, we need to be saying, what's going on in the other person's heart? What is God revealing to me about the other person right now so that I can minister to them more deeply. We don't say that. We say, how do you feel about what they just said? Well, not very good. I feel offended. I feel hurt. I feel angry. I feel put out. Okay, all of those may be valid, but they're entirely self-focused. You can never minister to other people while you're thinking about how you're feeling about what they just said. Well... It's profound because um, I believe God has called us um, for those married for us to serve each other. And the only way to serve each other is if we're listening to what's in our hearts and allowing the Holy Spirit guide us and guide our conversations. And that leads to the beauty of a covenant marriage rather than a contract marriage. I mean, that's what listening does. In a contract marriage... Um, I married you for sex, money, and security. Oh, really? I married you for um, companionship and uh, friends and friendship and whatever. Mm-hmm. And so there's this contract between us. And when you change, and because you change, you don't deliver on the contract. And you will change because that's you will life. Change. That's right. Well, you We're know what you do in business when a contract's not working anymore? You terminate. terminate it. Okay. Marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant. I give myself to you to serve you for your good. Well, what if I'm not very nice to you? Irrelevant. I give myself to you to serve you for your good. Well, what if you don't get exactly what you want? I give myself to you to serve you for your good. That is a covenant, and you can't break it. There's nothing that you can do that will change my decision to give myself to you and serve you for your own good. That's a that's a whole new beautiful thing. Amen. Um, I can't say how grateful I am for for coming in to do this to say this. Um, for those listening, I, I I've heard this sermon before, but every time I hear it, it just challenges me. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good father. I want to be a good disciple. I want my life to reflect Christ in everything that I do. Um, and even specifically with with money here and what I do and in, in helping families and helping couples. And I think this is learning to listen is a, is a big, is a very big one because once we learn to listen, other issues that we have, those can be addressed. Those can be resolved because now they're out on the surface. Now we know what those issues are and we can, you can start addressing those. And um, Pastor Don Simons, thank you very much for coming in. Well, thanks so much for having me. I've really enjoyed our time together. So that was the rest of my interview with Pastor Don Simons. I really hope that was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you found this helpful, please share and rate this podcast wherever you listen to it so others can find it. Now, coming up next is 
Couples Corner with Kevis and Nicole, where they share their financial journey, their struggles, and their successes. I hope this really blesses and encourages you. Kevis and Nicole, thank you for coming on Couples Corner. We definitely, I definitely appreciate having you guys on as guests. Uh, Kevis and Nicole are good friends of mine, and um, I thought it'd be a great idea to have them um, on this episode or this segment of Couples Corner to tell us a little bit about their story. Uh, so, Kevis and Nicole, I'll start with, let's say, Kevis. How long have you guys been married? Um, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> years. Sorry, how many years? 12 years. Um, we actually just celebrated our 12th um, year anniversary about a month ago. Yes, good job. A little under a month ago. <laughs> Congratulations. That's Thanks. awesome. Are you, uh, for I, mean, I know about you, but for those who are listening to us, do you guys have any kids? No, not yet. No kids yet, but we have a whole heap of God kids. Maybe That's much good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's always a good thing to be mentors because uh, sometimes even in situations where you may not have kids, God will definitely put people in your life that uh, you can mentor and carry along. So that's sometimes that's how God works. True. Yeah. Uh, Nicole. Yeah. How would you just how would you describe each other in terms of spending or handling your money? Um, so Kevis is very frugal. Kevis is all about the deal. Every situation, every whatever, the first question is how much is it gonna cost? Um, he wants to know that it's proper cheap, really low. Um, <laughs> and I'm the opposite. So I find that I'm more so about the features and the functions and the whatever. Um, so price is not the first, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Priority. Yeah, it's not the top priority for me. I want to know that if I'm going to get this, I want it to be this particular way. And that's more important than the price. But I always tease Kevis because I feel that um, in his frugal nature, that he probably buys things several times over because sometimes what he's getting is once again cheap and not working low quality whereas i miss out on purchasing some stuff because i take so long to make a decision and i'm sitting down and doing my research that by the time i'm ready to actually purchase it it's gone so um, i guess both both sides have its good and its bad so it sounds to me like you over anything I recognize value. So you would pick value over price, especially when they're both somewhat equal. Like you would look at the value first before you pay attention to the price, which just like you said, it has its pros and cons. Yes. Yes. And Kevis, how did you, since you've been married and knowing Nicole is more value conscious, where you are more price conscious. How has that been for you since you guys got married? How did you find that when you first got married? And how has that changed in terms of your relationship? Um, I knew about it before we got married. Um, that's one. And 
I don't know if it has necessarily changed um, that much. Uh, I don't know if that's changed at all because I'm like, I still have always um, valued a deal. Like, it's for me, it's about keeping as much of my money in my pocket as I possibly can, and at the same time, getting what I want. Um, mm-hmm. and as much as I'm frugal, I still want. Um, I still want what I want, um, kind of idea. And like, um, the best way to put it is back home, they say you can't have your cake and eat it, but I don't believe it because if it's <laughs> not, I should be able to eat it. It's mine. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, I don't think it has changed much. Um, the, I think if anything, um, it's more so what is purchased, that uh, what the purchases have been has changed more than anything else. Um, Cause like back in when we just got married, I think mo- most of our purchase would have surrounded our own personal needs. Um, while now it's mostly about what the house needs for, for lack of a better yeah, term. Yeah, it's more um, legacy building. Like- yeah. We're spending money towards things that will count in the long run, not necessarily um, what we want here and now, which like, once again has like its pros and cons. Cause I find that we, um, because we're so focused on our future goals, um, the here and now we may not go shopping very much. And right. I, I personally would love to take some money and like just have like a spree and get some clothes and get some shoes. But then when I sit back and I think about it, clothes and shoes now compared to getting my second property or paying off for that loan, like it just doesn't add up for me. It just makes more sense for me to put the money where it counts. So I think um, like, yeah, adding on to what Kevin said, I don't think it, I think our purchases and where we put our money has changed. We've always understood that we spend differently and we're very um, gracious to each other on that fact. No one beats up anybody else over, you know what I mean? Like we're good on that. Like there's never an argument. I just think that overall, like what we spend our money on has changed. So it sounds to me like it's just your values have matured. Yeah. In terms of the things you value when it comes to spending your money has matured from when you first got married and now you're looking more, okay, it's good now, but is there something I could do with that money in the future that would bring a better return? Mm -hmm. Something like that? Yep. That sums it up perfectly. Yeah. And then as well, like especially in the last little bit, I've been talking to Kevin a lot about um, like just our... Um, giving hearts. Like, I just want to be able to give that much more. I realize that any and everything that we have acquired, it's not because we've done anything special to acquire it, but it's just right. grace, right? So he has given us all of what he's given us and it's for us to be really good stewards of it. So I've been that much more intentional, like the last little bit to have my eyes open as to like, the various needs around me and how I can um, contribute to it. That's one of the things I like about you guys. You guys are one of my favorite couples. I told you that before. Uh, but it's just you you share the same values that I teach and I preach all the time. So I'm so glad to hear that. But I'm sure this didn't happen overnight for you in terms of 
you know, looking at things as it's not just my, it's, it's God that has blessed us with all these things. I'm not the one that has, it's not my, it's not my work of my efforts. Yes. In, in some respect it is, but it's God that has blessed you with all that. And that's a good mindset to have, but I'm sure that wasn't always the case. What are some of the biggest challenges you guys have had? Uh, I'll throw this to Kevis. What are some of the biggest challenges you've had when it comes to dealing with money together and how did you work through it? Um, One of the biggest challenges is probably just um, knowing where the money is going or where the money mm-hmm. is gone. Um, and in the, at one point, um, I used to travel with a lot of cash. Like, um, I would make sure that I always have money in my pocket. But then it would go, and I wouldn't be able to account for it. Um, and... Nicole would do a similar thing, but more so, it was more so me. So then what we started doing um, is instead of carrying around all this cash is um, we leave it in the bank. We use our debit cards um, more than the than cash because at least we have a record of sorts and we can, that way we can know where the money's gone, where the money's going. And if push comes to shove, we can always... Um, make the, the the adjustments so it's, it's just more of uh essentially just helping you track your money better exactly now in terms of personality or differences when it comes to how the money spent or what goals need to be accomplished first have you guys had any challenges over the years in terms of just getting on the same page and how if you have how have you been able to work through that 12 years into your marriage? I don't know if we can. I think we're really good at the whole communication piece. So Kevis, um, trust me to pay the bills and um, I guess kind of manage the money of the household. But I'm mm-hmm. very intentional that um, income has come in and now it's time to divvy out and he, he knows about every place that the money is going to. So I don't, um, like I'm not quiet about it and anything that needs to be discussed, like we discuss it. So I think like we're just very intentional to make sure that we're on the same page. I may be actually doing the paying and doing the allocating, but nothing is um, a secret to him. And I think that helps us. So, and I guess like we're both on the same page when it comes to like what our end goals are. So it helps in that regard as well. So trust and transparency to me sounds like has been very fundamental to help you uh, in terms of managing your money, right? Agreed, yeah. Um, One thing that like a lot of my friends comment on that surprises them, they're like, you guys have just one account? Like, you guys share the account for everything? We're like, yeah. Like, we share, like, yeah, both of our money goes into the exact same account. We pay the bills from there. And, like, this is, yeah, we've grown our money together, I think, because we got married relatively, well, I guess we weren't that young, but either way, um, like, we grew together. So our money Mm -hmm. grew along with that, and it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't your money, my money, it's our money. 
You just used my word right there. I love that. It's not your money. It's not my money. It's our money. And that is so key. What advice would you give couples who are struggling? Because money is such a contentious issue, even in marriages. And many couples are struggling. What advice would you give? Let's start with uh, Kevis. Uh, be honest. Um, at the end of the day, you got to be honest, not just to your spouse, but to yourself as well. And if your spending habits um, or your um, skill set, for lack of a better better word, uh, where money is concerned, is not um, where you or you think it should be or where your spouse think it should be, then be real with yourself. Um, and if they are better off, then leave it to them to uh, manage the major finances um, and just always talk, like always, always, always discuss, discuss the um, what's happening where the major stuff is, like small stuff, a coffee here, going to the, the, the movies or something like that's That's nothing to argue over. Uh, but the big stuff, it's important. If you do, if you discuss the big stuff and work through the big stuff, the small stuff will be nothing. Um, like Nicole says, like she pays most of the bills and stuff. And I'm not gonna lie, sometimes she annoys the crap out of me. <laughs> she's like, okay, um, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do whatever what I'm like. Okay, what do you want me to do? Because at the end of the day, I've told her many times, like. I trust you. Like, I know you're not going to give away the house. With <laughs> <laughs> a car. So, like, at the end of the day, like, um, I understand where she's coming from. And honestly, if you guys are able to um, just bridge that gap in terms of re um, being real with each other and with yourselves, then, like, I feel like the rest of it will come a lot easier. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Nicole, do you have anything to add? To be honest, I would say the exact same thing. Um, and have those conversations before you actually get married. Um, it's very vulnerable. Like, it's very vulnerable mm -hmm. to um, share, like, how you spend money and what you value and all those things. Money is tied to so many other facets of our personality and our whole being. So it can be very vulnerable, but um, yeah, like all the stats are out there that money is one of those things that really do affect marriages. And why should we? We shouldn't let it. We shouldn't give it so much power. Um, the reality is that you are with this person for a reason. So let's like be completely honest and strip it down. And this is what I want to purchase and this is how I spend my money and this is how much debt I have. And like, let's just throw that on the table and work together to get out of it and to better ourselves overall. So yeah, it really is just about communication, being trustworthy and yeah, be vulnerable. If you can't be vulnerable with your partner, then that's a problem. <laughs> that's the first problem. <laughs> I could not have said it better. Yeah. You great advice thank you very much kevis and nicole this has been couples corner on the dollar savage show real stories real struggles real challenges real hope thank you very much kevis and nicole thank, thank you, you for having us
Thank you so much for listening to the Dollar Savvy Podcast. You can find us at sacapital.ca slash podcast. And you can reach us at 1-888-365-8883, extension 377. Or send us an email at podcast at sacapital.ca. You've been listening to the Dollar Savvy Podcast. I'm your host, Show Adeyemi. Thank you. Madden and Mitchell Media.